0: Forest city church anyone and everyone we are working through the book of Luke to say um, to say it easily we've been we've been in this book for a long time and I hope you're enjoying kind of just being in the reading finding somebody talking about the text with them um, but just sitting in this opportunity to Learn from Jesus as he called his disciples and as he prepared the way for the kingdom. And so we are kind of the second half of this series on Luke. We were talking about Jesus calling his disciples, and then we had Easter. And now, post Easter, we're talking about what the kingdom is like. So, as we read uh, the text this morning, try to think about it from the framework of the kingdom is like. And as Jesus is teaching and preaching, he is giving his followers, he's giving his people more of an idea of the kingdom that he is ushering in and the kingdom that is to come. Um, It's one of my favorite things to talk about is the the kingdom. And so I I just love this, this series. And I think we are just having the opportunity to learn some really important things about what it means to follow Jesus and the purpose of what it is we're headed towards and what it is we are about as Jesus followers. So we're going to be actually in Luke um, 13 today. You don't have to turn there now because I'm going to set it up a little bit. But that's the chapter that we're going to be reading out of. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you knew what to expect. Like you had this thing all figured out. You, you knew it was going to come, you had a plan, you knew what it was going to be like, until you were in it, and then you realized you didn't really know anything about it at all. Like, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, and I think that's a part of where Jesus' followers are at at this point um, of the story in Luke. So Jesus has been uh, healing people, he's been teaching He has followers who are following him around, hearing his teaching, seeing his miracles, but he's talking about the way of the kingdom. And as he's talking about the values of the kingdom and the way of the kingdom, it's sort of rubbing up against the metrics or the value system or the success that the Jewish people have built their whole religious order on. Like the things that Jesus is saying kind of contradicts um, what they've built up. It contradicts the structures or the rules that they've ordered their religious values on. It contradicts, maybe their way of life or what they thought was important or successful. And so they're, they're trying to be like, hey, I thought I, thought I knew how this was going to go. But I have to undo so many things that I previously thought in order to be able to enter in to what Jesus is talking about. My world is kind of turned upside down. And I don't know if you've ever felt this before in your life, but as, the parent, as a parent myself of a toddler and about to be another baby, I remember before I was a parent having a lot of thoughts and opinions and expectations about what I would do or how I would be or how I would operate. Um, and I know a lot of my friends did too, like, oh, you know, whatever it is for you. But like, we're not going to give our kids processed snacks or no screen time until they're in middle school, or I'm never going to snap at my kids, or I'm never going to do this or that. And you just have all these things and all these ways you think you're going to do it and how it's going to go. And it's all kind of ordered, ordered together. And then you have kids and you realize the new reality you are in and how limited your functioning is. And you've never had less control over things like your sleep and your meals and your own body and your downtime. And, and so you just start doing things to survive and your kids are eating hot dogs and watching screen time and you just thought, what happened? Like what happened to how I thought it was gonna go, right? It's almost as if your whole world is turned upside down. The things you thought you wanted, you don't want anymore. Like when you were in your 20s, you just wanted a night out. Now that you're in your 30s, you're like, just get me on the couch with my show and in bed by 8.30 and that is a good night for me, right? Like everything is kind of turned upside down, your desires, your expectations, your value systems. But yeah, before it happened to you, you thought exactly you knew how that was gonna go. And I think it's similar with life in the kingdom. And I think that's what Jesus' people are experiencing. I think that's what we still experience to this day. The kingdom is a new way of life. It is a new value system. It's new expectations and preferences and success. It's new goals. And you haven't done it before, and you think you know what it's going to be, and then you're in it, and you realize it's different than what you thought. But it's good, and it's true, and it's better than you could have ever hoped or imagined. And so you continue to lean in. And that's where I want us to start this morning as we look at this verse, scripture, Luke 13. So you can go ahead and turn to the chapter Luke 13. We're going to start in verse 22, and I'm going to read it for us. It'll also be up on the screens, and then we'll kind of break it down as we go. So Jesus, in verse 22, it says, Jesus, Jesus went through towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will uh, try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. And the people will come from all over the world, from the east and the west and the north and the south, to take their place in the kingdom. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. So let's break this down. So at this point in the, in the book of Luke, Jesus is beginning his final journey to the cross. So he's quite literally walking on the final road that will lead him to be crucified on the cross, which is really the ultimate symbol and picture of life in the kingdom of the Lord, the creator, the God, the king, making himself low to be crucified as a criminal so that his people could be saved. And we know that at this point, his followers are expecting the Messiah to be somebody who wields his power, somebody who demonstrates force and power to come and to defeat their oppressors. They're not expecting someone who's going to be made low so that he looks as like a criminal and is crucified on a cross only to be died and buried. That's not what they expect at all. But Jesus is trying to give his followers some handles on this kingdom experience that they are going to have, when he takes this untimely death. And, and, and his followers are struggling to understand it. They are struggling to, get, to gain and grasp and wrap their head around and get handles on this whole kingdom thing. The last shall be first and the first shall be last and the merciful are made great. And it's about life at the margins and it's about the limits. They're having a really hard time wrapping their minds around that. And so we see at the beginning of this text, that question, Lord, like, so who's going to be saved? Which basically is kind of like saying, this, is, this kingdom talk is just confusing. Can you just tell me like, who's in and who's out? Or, who, or who's even going to make it in? Because this just sounds like something I was not expecting. It sounds very different than what I thought this was going to be. And I'm just trying to understand what this whole kingdom thing is about. And Jesus does something um, I think so beautiful. He from the beginning takes this question that is like addressing a group dynamic, like it's an individual saying, Who who else is in and who else is out? And Jesus turns it back on that individual. And he makes it about a personal experience with Jesus. Kind of like, no, no, no. Not what does the kingdom look like for everybody else? What does it look like for you? That is the question. And this is where I want us to sit together today. This is where I want us to be as a community because I think, I think we can read this text and let's kind of be honest, it's a little, it's a little weird, right? It's a little like, this is interesting. People are out. You think you're in, but you're not out. Somewhere there's like weeping or gnashing of teeth, like get away from me, you evil one. Like this is kind of some of the reasons why people like have difficulty with the Bible, right? Like it sounds weird. And I think it's okay to be honest about that and just say this, there's something interesting happening here. Um, But I think for us, as I I sat and and prayed and reflected on this text, I think it's an opportunity for us to lean into some internal conversations in ourselves. I think it's an opportunity for us not to approach this passage as it might look on the surface as like it's it's basically a formula for who's in and for who's out. But it's an opportunity to lean into our personal relationship and walk with Jesus. What does it look like for us? And so from the beginning, I'm just going to establish some level playing field here because whenever we go into something vulnerable, we got to go together. And so we got to have equal and level playing field. And so I just want us to know this morning that however we walked in, whatever we came in with, whoever we came in with, whether you are in the seats or on the platform, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all a people who are oriented towards the heart of Jesus, asking him to show us his way. We are all works in progress. We all have have work to do, and we as a community are going to do that part together. And I think leaning into difficult conversations, vulnerable conversations, that's what we should be doing at church, because this is supposed to be a safe place, a place for family, a place for people who have lots of questions and don't have it all figured out. And I want us to be a community of people who go together, who lean into these things together. My daughter has this affirmation she does in the mirror. And she gets this kind of face. It's like a frown face, but I think it's like her strong face. And she'll like kind of flex her muscle and be like, I can do this. I can do hard things, Mom. I got this. And I kind of feel like we each get the opportunity today to look in our own respective mirrors and be like, we got this. We could do it. We could do this together. This is what family does. This is what the church does. And and I think if we if we walk that together in authenticity, the Holy Spirit is going to meet us in a place of beauty, um, and just meet us at the right time in our journey. So that's kind of the 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 playing field that I want to level before before we go any further. I think as followers of Jesus in the time that we live, in the as as people of the church in the time that we live we can get really wrapped up in moral policing and cancel culture and polarizing sides of culture wars. And it's important for us to lean in to what's happening in culture. I'm not saying not to do that. But today, I do want to focus on the amount of energy that we put towards decisions and conversations and expectations and all those things about what everybody else is doing and the amount of energy we spend in those spaces. Because I think sometimes it bypasses what's actually really happening inside of us. And I think we underestimate the Holy Spirit's ability to speak to us, to transform us to change our hearts, to take us out of one way and put us on a new way. We underestimate that. We don't spend a lot of time there. We spend a lot of time in other spaces. And so I want us to really focus on um, making space for ourselves this morning and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. So after Jesus orients this text towards the individual, so the, the the guy tries to be like, hey, who's in, who's out? Jesus is like, no, it's not about who's in or who's out. It's about you and your journey with me. So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that part. Are we good? Can we do it together? Just a little check in. We feeling good? All right. I'm going to take that as a yes. Okay. So the first warning that Jesus talks about is in verse 24. He says, Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And so this right away is interesting because one, work hard is not really the language that we've heard Jesus talking about his kingdom or about being his disciple. Because what we know is that following Jesus isn't about our ability to produce or work. It's about what he has done. So there's something happening here. And then we see the narrow door to God's kingdom, which also, from what we know of who Jesus is, he's somebody who goes to the margins, includes people. This is also interesting because it, it doesn't seem like so far the message has been a narrow one. So let's look at this. What, what is this whole narrow door idea, the narrow door warning? What does this have to say for us? As I looked more at the wording of work hard, it also translates as make every effort towards the kingdom. And if we look at some of the verses that correspond with the language of this text, with the narrow door and the working hard, it actually corresponds with other verses from the book of Luke that talk about two things, repentance and faith. Almost to say, to establish the conclusion that if we are to focus on our relationship with Jesus and our personal relationship with him is what opens up the kingdom for each of us, that what it means to walk with Jesus is to walk in repentance and faith. So we are going to talk more about these two things because I think this is what's connected to this idea of the narrow door. Now repentance, again, we've got some big words today. We've got some some weighty stuff. Repentance is not something we all love to talk about. And I think when we think about the word repentance, we think about like the big hot button sin issues, like the big moral failures or the big scandals or the big things. I don't think we always think about the everyday shifts in our own hearts and our lives of a dependence on Jesus to other things. I don't think we always consider just the ability of us as humanity to coast towards thinking that we got this all on our own, that we can make it happen through whatever vehicle we've chosen, and that at the end of the day, our way is better than God's. I don't think we say it that way to ourselves, but I think sometimes the way we operate is essentially what we are building our life on, is essentially the way that we have chosen. And I think the truth is, It is easy for us to forget that we need a ransom. It is easy for us to forget that we need a savior. It is easy for us to forget that we can't climb up on the cross ourselves. That's the whole point of the story. It's easy for us to forget. And when we forget that God has the ability to make us right, that we don't make ourselves right through our success or our performance or our choices or our friends or our zip code, that that, those things won't make us right, when we forget about that, what's happening is we are choosing a way of self-righteousness. We are choosing a way that says my status, my bank account, my coping mechanisms, my even escapes, my addictions, those things that I run to, those things are going to make things right more than God can. And that is a form of self-righteousness. And I think when we talk about this word repentance, this idea of self-righteousness is something that kind of floats under the radar. And I think that if we're talking about really following Jesus, we've got to lean into what that looks like for each of us ourselves today. And I'll go first. Because I will say, I totally have a hang up with self-righteousness. I've struggled with this. I still struggle with it. This is something that, that I experience in my own life. I, I struggle with the kind of self-righteousness that tells God I think I know better than him. And in my head, I know. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I know that he, that he took what I was supposed to take and that he made freedom for me. But there's also a big part of my heart that sought and continues sometimes to seek right standing and acceptance through my performance. And it can creep into my spirit, and then I find myself stuck in this pattern of measuring my right standing with God based on what I'm doing for him and not who I am in him or what he has done for me. If I feel like I get off track, I just think of something to get myself back on track. And it could be a good thing, like a Bible study or a practice or a discipline. But I just, I just decide, well, I'm going to start doing this or I'm going to start doing that. And then I just ask God to bless it, and I go on my merry way. And from the outside, no one can really tell that I'm doing this. Nobody can recognize it because I'm taking good things and I'm doing them or using them for the wrong purposes. And only I know, only I can know that I'm missing the whole point. Because essentially what, what I especially did in the past is I started to plan and dream for my life, telling God that I was following him, but I was still insisting on calling all the shots. And so when things didn't go my way or they didn't follow my expectations or they didn't go as planned, I felt um, betrayed. I felt like I wasn't getting what I needed. I felt like I had a right that wasn't being fulfilled, and I struggled to feel loved by God or to follow him in in that response in, in that time of my life. I was fearful and discontent and in constant comparison and critique of myself because amidst all of my efforts, my good things, I was still trying to save myself. You see, when we are functioning from a place of performance and striving, we are saying that God's righteousness doesn't really matter and that we can bypass the whole cross and the whole sacrifice and just save ourselves. When we use our relationships, our control, our comforts, or our addictions, our money as our ransom on our own altars, we are telling God, no, I know best. I got this. I've got what I need. It doesn't come from you. And that is essentially putting us higher than God. And when that happens and it happens to all of us, we need to recognize that is sin. And we need to turn from it because it contradicts God's righteousness, his plan, his right way for us. And it will ultimately separate us from God. We have to recognize that we are in our choices, in our decisions, in our behavior, in our lives, we are choosing a way and we will either choose our own way or we will choose the way of Jesus. And I think we need to normalize as humans that we we coast towards choosing our own way, that in order to choose the way of Jesus, it is going to be hard work. It is going to be a decision. It is going to be a choice. It is not something that we will drift towards or that will just happen to us. It's probably something that we're going to have to fight against going the other direction because we are still human and we still live in a broken world and the kingdom is not fully here. And so this idea of of making every effort, of trying hard and the door being narrow, I don't think it's about who's in, who's out. I think it's about the fact that this is going to require all of you. That to to be repentant, to follow Jesus is not just a one-time decision where you ask the Lord into your heart. It's not just the one time that you got baptized. It is an everyday laying down and surrendering and choosing over and over in every season and in every way as new things creep up up, Lord, I don't have this and I need you. I need your way. And for us to lean in in that way over and over and over again, it's going to require all of us. But it's not just repentance. What, what else is it? It's faith. And at the end of the day, what makes this so beautiful and so worth it, you're probably thinking like, why would I want to do that? What makes it so worth it is because ultimately God's rightness is the best way for us. Like sin is any way that we have chosen that's not God's way for us. And his rightness is the best way. It is the way that we will flourish. It is the way we will be free. It is the way we will be healed. And his way is the best way. And so we we lean in and we repent and we lay down and surrender and we turn because we believe that the Lord is good, that he is faithful, that he has the power to free and heal and redeem, that we don't have to be stuck and do this all on our our own, that we don't have to be isolated. We don't have to carry the burden of saving ourselves. It is a freedom and it is our faith that fuels us to be able to be repentant over and over and over again. To live a life of repentance is going to require faith. And so this morning, if you're asking yourselves, well, man, where is my faith today? What do I truly believe in? I would argue to ask yourself, where do you go in times of distress? Where do you go when everything has failed? Where do you go when your expectations weren't met? Where do you go when you're disappointed? The place that you go is what you believe in. That is where you have put your faith. And so I wonder for us what it looks like this morning to be more aware of our walk of repentance and of the place that we're putting our faith, because it seems like in this scripture, this is so important to us in our own personal journey in the kingdom. Let's jump to the second warning. It says, "...when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from." And then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who are evil. So we have this second warning. And this has to do with this idea of being in the house or thinking that you're in, but really being out or being in the house, but, but not being known. And there seems to be something here about this idea of doing versus receiving, And I think what Jesus is trying to say is it is possible to think that you are in, but you're out. It's possible to be literally, like think about the people who are following Jesus at this point in time, in Luke. They are literally following Jesus. They are walking with him. They are in his presence. They are seeing his miracles. They are hearing his teachings. They are in in his vicinity. And Jesus is saying, it is possible for you to be doing all of these things, but not really following me. Because you can be watching and seeing and picking up, but you cannot be transformed. And the kingdom can only be accessed through a personal, ongoing relationship with Jesus that receives grace and is transformed by it, not only is producing it. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the religious elites here. In this text, he is not talking to the margins. He's not talking to the people on the fringes. He's talking to the people who've built their whole life on following Jesus. He's talking to the people who've, who've made the decision to follow him from town to town. He's talking to the people who follow all the religious orders and rules and do all the right things. This is who he is talking to. And I think what he's saying to us is that you can be in church on Sunday. You can listen to all the sermons and podcasts. You can participate in events and programs, but you can still not have the posture of receiving. You can be loading up with podcasts and sermon content. You can be posting on social media. You can be having spiritual debates and conversations, but you still aren't being transformed. And I think it's, it's a similar example to the, what we were talking about earlier, about this idea of self-righteousness. I think self-righteousness is kind of like a cue to our level of transformation from the gospel, our level of ability to receive grace. Because We can know about self righteousness, we can talk about it, but how do we know if we have moved beyond it? How do we know if we've been transformed by grace? You might be self righteous if it's easier to overlook your own sin but judge someone else. You might be self righteous if it's easier to worry than to trust. You might be self-righteous if it's more satisfying to win than to admit your failure. You may be self-righteous if it's easier to step over the needs of your neighbor so you can accomplish your own agenda or success. You see, it's about receiving the invitation of grace. And to repent is to receive, and to receive is to respond. Repentance and faith should transform us. It should change us. It should bring us closer to grace. It should produce a response in us that turns us to a new way, that expands our capacity to love, to seek understanding, to receive and give forgiveness. But here's the question, if grace is at the center of the gospel, if grace is the thing that transforms us, that we need to receive, then why does there appear to be such a lack of it in Christian spaces and churches? Like, if that's who we are and what we are about, and then we go over to the other side and we hear about what people perceive the church to be or feel the church to be, a place of judgment, a place of exclusiveness, kind of like a clique, a place that doesn't let people in, a place that makes people feel bad about themselves. What, what is the difference between what we say we need and it transforms us and what people experience from us? Why do we resist grace? Why do we resist this transformation? What is that about? I'm gonna bring you back to Bria. I was Bria Gruen back then, not Bria Timlick. Bria Gruen. Um, uh, let's see, age 23, 24. I'm living in Holland, Michigan, in my apartment um, by myself. I'm single. I'm going to work, doing my thing. And in Michigan, it snows a lot. And so every winter, um, you know, our parking lot would just be a mess. And so they would plow, like, the parking area that you would drive through, but they wouldn't plow the actual parking spaces. So inevitably, there would always be a time that I got stuck or there was a situation. And not to mention, at that time, I was driving a very old Chevy Cavalier Silver. It did not have – there was nothing automatic about it. It had manual locks and manual windows. And so that's, that's like, what we're dealing with. So I come outside – There's like a foot of snow on each side of my car. There's just no way I'm getting out of there. I get in and I just try to like gun it, right? Like I'm just going to gun it. No, my car's totally stuck. It's all like in the slush. The tires are just spinning. The slush is spraying and I'm just done at this point. Like this is just the thing that pushed me over the edge, right? So I'm just kind of having a fit in my car, like saying to the Lord, this is not how I expected things to go. Um, This is just not what I need this morning. I need to get to work and I'm kind of having a fit. And I have like a knock on my window, and so I roll down the window manually, and there's my neighbor, and he's like, hey, can I, can I help you? You look like you're stuck. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm trying to get to work. So at this point, my car was like halfway out of the parking space and halfway in it, and I had been trying to like back out. So he comes around to the back of my car, and he's like, okay, you press the gas, and I'm just going to try to push you. I'm like, okay. So he's back there right behind my car. He's pushing. I'm like gunning the gas, okay? Like my foot is all the way to the floor, and the car is just rocking, and it's not going anywhere, and it's just rocking, and it's not going anywhere. And he stops, and I, I press the brake, and he comes over, and he goes, hey, and like knocks in the window, and I roll it down again. Hey, um, I think your car's in reverse. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not in reverse. No, I look down, it's totally in reverse. You guys, I literally almost ran over my neighbor because he is pushing my car and I'm gutting the gas. And if it got loose, he would have been behind me. And he's like, I, I think it's in reverse. It's not working. I was like, no, let's just try one more time. I think this is going to be the time. We'll just try one more time. And I pop that baby into drive and put like gun it and I come all the way out and then I get to work and it's fine. And, but I, I, he knew it was in reverse and I knew it was in reverse, but I did not admit to him that it was in reverse. Okay. I bought him some cookies at Panera and said, thank you and left him at his door because I literally could have like killed him or injured him. Okay. So here we go. What is in us that makes it so hard for us to admit that we have the car in reverse. When he knows it's in reverse and I know it's in reverse and we're looking at it in reverse and I say no it's fine. I think it's going to happen in one more time, right? So it's all good. Like what what is in us that, that? why do we resist the receiving of grace? What is that thing that just resists being able to say, I don't have it all together. I really messed up. This is embarrassing. I wouldn't really want anybody to know this about me, right? Like what is that thing that we resist grace? Because whatever that is for you, whether it's shame or embarrassment or performance, or you feel like you have to keep something going, Whatever that is for you, that is your invitation to the kingdom. Trusting the Lord with that thing, receiving grace in that area, that is the invitation into the kingdom. And it is about receiving the invitation. It is about, response. It is about a changing of us. And when we resist grace, we resist the Lord. You know, in this text, when it talks about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and all of this really dark and disturbing language that is imagery for being separated from grace that is imagery What the message translation says that is us as strangers of grace you see grace is this whole thing that fuels a life of repentance and moving forward but we as humans resist the way of Jesus because we resist the way of grace and we're all choosing something we're choosing to build our life on something and I would argue that building our life on our limits, on our weaknesses, on our need for grace is so much more important than our zip code or our status or our performance or our success. And this is the way of Jesus. And that is why it can feel narrow. Because the ability to do that will take commitment. And it will take, it will take all of us. It will take surrender. We jump back into verse 28. Um, verse 28. or verse 29, it says, and people will come from all over the world, east, west, north, and south, to take their place in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. You see, self-righteousness separates us from God because it separates us from grace. And the way of Jesus is not a stranger to grace. Why? Why? because the kingdom is actually expansive. The bounds of the kingdom cannot be constructed by the limits of this world. The kingdom is not for a few, it is for all. The way of Jesus is about a God who has pursued his people, who, who looks to his people, who looks to those who are in distress, who looks to those who are broken, and wants to send a loving son and a promise to deliver them and to free them. No one is too far from him. No one is too far from the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus shouldn't narrow our love or build more walls or exclude more people. The bounds of the kingdom are expansive. When Jesus mentioned these words, people will come from the north and the south and the east and the west, he knew that that phrase would signal a phrase that the Jewish people had grown up on from the Old Testament psalm. That phrase would signal something about what they grew up on or what they knew the Lord to be that would help them understand the reality of the current kingdom. You see, that east and west and north and south, that is language of God bringing his people from every corner of the earth to reconcile them, to save them, to reconcile this world. And that would have been helping the people to remember that God is a God who pursues all people, who makes space for all people. And we're going to go back to what, where that phrase came in the psalm. And we're going to look at who God is, who the God is of this psalm, because this tells us who the God is of this kingdom. In Psalm 107, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north and the south. Some have wandered into desert wastes, finding no way to city to dwell in. They are hungry and thirsty. Their soul is fainted within them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry he fills with good things. As you read the rest of this Psalm, here are the things that it says that the Lord does, that God does for those in the kingdom. He redeems them from trouble. He gathers his people. He has delivered them. He satisfies, he fills. He brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. He shattered the doors of bronze and he cut into the bars of iron. He sent out his word of healing and he delivers his people from destruction. You see, the people of Jesus see the reversals of the world, they see the reconciling that God is doing, they see the brokenness that he is healing, and they see the kingdom. They see the Lord. They see that the kingdom is not a narrow door. The kingdom, the door of the kingdom is wide. That all throughout history, God has actively been bringing back his people. He has been searching for his people. Wherever you are, whatever you've been in, whatever mess you're in, however deep you're in, it is never too far for the kingdom of God. It is never too deep for the power of God. It is never too separate from the heart of God. He is rescuing his people. And it is not based on doing the right things. It's not based on being in the right spaces. It's not not based on being in the right crowd. It is based on the love of God. You see, the door is narrow for those who are focused on who is in or who is out, but it is wide for people who wanna be redeemed. The door is wide for those who are gathered from the West and the East and the South and the North. It is wide for those who've wandered into barren places. It is wide for those of you today who are sitting here in darkness. It is wide for those who are suffering, knowing that they have nobody else to blame than themselves. The door is wide for you if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be healed, if you want to be freed. Because your answer your peace, your need, your satisfaction, your belonging, it will not come from constructing a kingdom for others. It will be from receiving the kingdom yourself. And I think the challenge today, this idea of repentance and faith is being able to say, I'm in need. Following Jesus isn't about all the answers. It's not about having it all figured out. It's not about being perfect and following all the rules. I am here in need. And I've got to kind of get closer to my need to get closer to Jesus. And I think as Christians, we have forgotten that it is the limits, it is the need, it is the weakness, it is the low that elevates the glory of God and brings Him high. It is our need. The way to access the kingdom is a surrendered life that recognizes where we've missed it and has a heart to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting to turn from our way and the way of Jesus because we're all choosing a way today. We're choosing a way and the way that saves us could be our status, it could be our escaping, it could be our evading our hurts, it could be running towards pleasure, it could be running towards fulfillment, but we all choose a way. And this morning, I believe Jesus is saying, remember that just because you are reading the Bible and in church and doing all the things, continue to turn towards my way and turn towards my way and turn towards my way. And if you haven't turned my way before, today is your day. I am here today for you. I want you to turn your way towards me. I'm here to receive you. So my question today is who here is hungry for joy? Who here is just empty and longing to be satisfied? Who here is crying out from a place of distress Who here is carrying a burden that it's all up to you, that you have to make it happen, you've got to make it work, and if you can't, everything is going to fail? Who here is just longing to be free, is longing for a sense of relief? Who here is longing for safety and security? Who here is longing for a remedy from their fear? Who here is longing to just give up control and release? Who here is longing to be free? Because the kingdom is for you. And so today, today as we, we just had this last time together, we're just gonna have an opportunity to walk through some of the things that we just talked about, each of us individually, to just make space wherever we are. We're gonna sing together in a minute. And I just want us to use this time as a time of reflection and a time of opening up and making space for the Holy Spirit. I wonder today what it is that is the thing for you that you are seeking repentance from. I wonder what it is you've built your life on, what the way that you have based your way on. I wonder if it's out of insecurity, if it's out of not being, if you feel like you don't belong. I wonder if you've built your life on status or success. I wonder if you've built your life on insecurities or comparison. I wonder if you've built your life on what you can do, what you can produce, instead of who you are. I wonder if you've built your life on something that you know you're not. And I wonder this morning, what is the thing that you need to lay down? What is that area that you feel like you know better? Maybe you wouldn't say it that way, but when you look at it this way, that is really what it is. What is that thing for you? And then I want you to think about just your, your, your hard stuff, like your secrets the stuff that you wouldn't want anybody to know, the stuff that you're embarrassed about, the times that you've got that car in reverse and you just can't admit it even though everybody knows it's what it is. I want you to think about that thing and I want you to just to allow that to, to come up for you, to be okay with it's a thing and it's real and then I want you to declare your faith in that place that whatever shame or embarrassment or um, lowliness that thing brings up for you, I want you to declare the love and the power and the hope of Jesus over that place, that the way of God is true, the way of God is good, the way of God is faithful, and this is the only way that has the power to truly redeem and free and heal. I want you to declare your faith, sometimes you gotta speak it before you believe it, you gotta say it before you know it's true, and this morning, we don't need to stay in a place of, um, of being down on ourselves, but to know that when we bring these things up, it's for a purpose. It's for a good. It doesn't just hang out there. And God's not gonna trick you. There's not like some sort of box that you don't have the key to not open. He, he, you have the keys. You have the keys that you need to know the Lord and to see him and to be free. And he wants to bring that to you this morning. So declare your faith over those places. And then the next one, if you could put it up on the screens. Remember the invitation to receive and to respond with grace. Remember that at the end of the day, it is grace that transforms. It is grace that frees. So where is that place that we need more grace? Who is that person that we've made our enemy? Who is that person we've written off? What is that group that we've said they never have any room in the kingdom? What is, what is that thing that we've created? What is that bound we've made? And where is there grace from Jesus for us and grace for us to extend? And it's probably not gonna be something detached. It's probably gonna be somebody in your home. It's probably gonna be somebody in your family. It's probably gonna be somebody in your sphere of influence. Where, where are you gonna be transformed by grace and how is that gonna change your response? How is that gonna change what you do next? How is that gonna change what you say? What does it mean to respond with grace? So I just encourage you in this moment as we get ready to sing that you just would sit, stand, worship, declare, reflect, whatever makes sense for you, but just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, allow the Spirit space in your heart as we build our life on Jesus, on the way of Jesus together. My life upon your love, it is a i